0: Sometimes if you want innovation, you've got to have a pressure on.
1: The severity of the disease itself, it's not tangible to me. I personally have asthma,
2: so it's definitely a risk for me to do so, but I do it with pride.
3: It's dehumanized the experience of being a student.
4: I really didn't like how some young people are taking this and as a way to travel. You do see people being quite human in ways
5: that you maybe don't see day to day.
6: Well, I can't have all my friends in a room together,
7: So, I'll just have them all in a room together on the internet as penguins. And I may have started sleeping with one of my friends, but I don't regret it, I just feel guilty about it.
0: Just because they're not going to contract coronavirus doesn't mean that their loneliness is going to go away.
7: It's just so crazy to be alone.
8: Welcome back to Commencement the podcast dedicated to discussing the unspoken reality of life after graduation. And I'm Becca, your host, and a recent graduate of the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. This time on commencement, we take a quick detour from all things postgrad to reflect on how the coronavirus pandemic is affecting the lives of recent graduates and final year students across the globe. Like me, you may be tired of your daily coronavirus outbreak updates from your local news source, or even worse, Trump, but how much have you heard from young people around the world how they are reacting to the pandemic and quarantine measures? It is important to note that none of the individuals you are about to hear from are medical experts and that these interviews were conducted at various points in time throughout the course of this pandemic. And since then, information about the coronavirus and situations in different regions may have changed. As usual, I had many questions. But my first, what were my peers' perspectives on what was happening in their corner of the world, and what were reactions like to the pandemic where they were currently living?
5: They put a pause on the evictions and the stupid repetitions of the capitalist system that we're living in. I don't get how you can see disease
2: has risen And try to buy the vaccine and privatize it
4: I am from Italy, which is the country most affected in Europe And I am currently in Spain, which is the second country most affected in Europe I think this has quite affected me a lot, to be honest Because I am not able to go home at the moment And my family is kind of struggling, locked in the house And I really wish I could uh, support them So it's definitely been quite tough At the same time, now I'm in uh, lockdown myself, so I cannot really leave the house.
0: Amazingly, when I was in Nepal, I was working with a team of international students, and one of them was from Shanghai, and he had spent the last two months living in his student flat. Just locked there, he was allowed to leave once per week to go and get some groceries. Uh, But that was it. And, And I remember asking him at the time about it, saying, these quarantine measures seem really intense. They seem like they're a little bit of an, an extra stretch. And his, his response was very really interesting because he just said, well, I mean, it, it doesn't really matter. I have a, a national obligation. China is, is one country and we have one response. And so if something threatens China, then we all unite together behind it. So I didn't see isolation as a bad thing. It didn't impede on my, my freedom at all. It was me acting in the nation's interests to serve my country
1: new york is the epicenter which is just weird to think about because i still don't know anybody who's affected so it's hard to believe that so many people are dying here every day every day it seemed to grow and grow and grow and by the time i realized how many cases there were and that new york and the state had the most, everyone left. I only have two friends that stayed in the city, but at that point I was like, wow, the odds that I'm already infected are high and that I'm asymptomatic. I'm speaking and I hear it in this numb tone. It's all just so surreal and weird, but every few days one of these components would be added on. So it's not just like one day, it was remote and everything was closed and everyone was wearing masks and different parts have been popping up slowly over the weeks as things get worse. Speaking of popping up, there's tents in Central Park now, kind of near where I am, that are for overflow of hospital. We've been getting emergency alerts on our phone for any healthcare workers to come help as they can. I know NYU, like fourth year medical students were in March, they're like, you're graduated, please get out there. Things are definitely very serious. There's a hospital near me and I can't go down that road.
5: Just in DC, there's like kind of stoop culture. There's so many people kind of packed and tight on these, and the housing here, and I just walk outside and there's just people just hanging on their stoops, chatting to you, they'll so smile at you, wave, just reading a book.
0: As soon as I landed in the UK, I went to my flat in Glasgow and on the way there, I passed down these busy roads that were packed full of pedestrians. Everyone was out having coffee and meeting up for lunch and, and we just seemed to be really dismissive of the advice that was given to us. And I think there are so many reasons for that. I think firstly, the people who were giving the advice didn't genuinely believe in it either. The houses of Parliament were still running and people were working in these very confined places in Parliament In 10 Downing Street, you saw from the initial addresses that were given and they'd be talking about social distancing when they would clearly be less than two meters from the person standing right beside them. And I think that's now shown by the fact that a lot of government officials have contracted coronavirus, I think that's possibly because they were quite dismissive of it as well. And I think that there's also all forms of racism as well that played into it. dismissing it as, oh that happens in China, that could never possibly happen here, we have an amazing healthcare system. Something like that would never happen. And I think we will pay a very heavy price because of that. Because we we were naive and we just assumed that it couldn't possibly happen to us, we were above that sort of thing. And even whenever it did get here, we saw our right to get a coffee, to get lunch with friends, to meet up in the evening with pals. That was all something that we weren't willing to sacrifice for a while.
8: Clearly, restrictions on daily life and the severity of the coronavirus outbreak has varied significantly across the globe, yet Individuals' beliefs about the disease and how the general response has been in their region of the world is not necessarily indicative of what the majority of people living in that city or country are experiencing. But I did wonder how my peers' daily lives and psychological well-beings, apart from their community, city, or country's welfare, was affected by the threat of coronavirus and life in lockdown or quarantine.
5: I'm very concerned for members of my own family, people who have underlying conditions, people who are older, and I just hope that we get through this. It's not healthy to be cooped up to be quarantined, but uh, you do see people being quite innovative people being quite human in ways that you maybe don't see day to day.
9: I entered into my organizing job a few weeks ago. So I have just started and a big aspect of the job is creating relationships with people and doing one-on-ones and events uh, to create community and to bring people into a movement. And all of that just got way harder
7: because now I can't come into contact with people physically. I moved to Madison two weeks before the quarantine happened. So I got to meet some of my coworkers and I was living off of an air mattress and then they're like, "Hey, just just go stay in your room and do your work. It's fine. So I didn't even have a desk and my trainer gave me a table that I could work on and some folding chairs, just like out of maybe pity, I'm not sure. Can you imagine starting a job and everyone's sta- sitting six feet apart? Someone has to deliver coffee to you. And then an hour and a half later, everyone's shuffled out to go back to their homes to do all their training.
4: Classes are only online and we don't really know what they're going to start and how exams are going to be, Uh, the assignments will be different. So it's been quite stressful to adapt to a new place as well as adapt to COVID, kind of messing around everything. I had a friend tell me, I've tried to put myself in the mindset of not being worried about getting it. And I thought that was really interesting because, you know, I think a lot of people are nervous about just getting it and getting it doesn't mean necessarily death, like I think it's been taught to us in the media. And not to say that you shouldn't be cautious about getting it. You don't necessarily want it, but in that way.
9: It can be really an eye-opening experience as well to understand that what we're experiencing right now is not necessarily new for some people. Some of the ways that we are feeling self-quarantining and like social distancing can be really hard on us is also physical reality for some people with physical disabilities or neurodivergent ways of living.
8: Since this is still a show about graduate life, I wanted to hear about what life was like for a soon-to-be graduate. I could only imagine how devastating it was for students in the class of 2020 across the world who have had their graduations and last golden months of their final years stripped away from them. I asked a friend who was graduating this spring from my alma mater, the University of St. Andrews in Scotland, how she and her classmates were faring.
3: So for final year students, I'd say the pandemic has really put our last semester, like it just cut it short basically, because a lot of us just went home because we were told by the principal that we should be going home. I would say that most of my friends, especially the international students, the ones who aren't from the UK, have just left. It's completely emptied St. Andrews in that sense. They have proposed giving us another graduation date later on, like they said in the next three years, but who is going to want to go back and do a fake graduation? Everyone is pretty upset and disappointed, honestly. We have this insane option to basically S code our classes at the end of the semester, which means that basically, if we don't like our grade <laughs> and that if it would hurt our average, we can S code it, meaning it doesn't count in our average and our degree at all. So it is demotivating, but I've chosen to literally ignore that and just to carry on as if there was no S-code option and actually personally for me it has been kind of swapped it around to look at it as a positive thing and think well I don't need to stress now because if I don't do well I can just S-code my class (laughs) I do get very frustrated with my work and it feels like I've lost actual productivity and I'm just kind of in limbo and doing work all day but what am I really achieving it's kind of like you have zero structure so all the days kind of just mesh into a one long work session.
8: Living in lockdown, no matter where you are in the world, presents a unique set of challenges for everyone. For the majority of recent graduates I spoke to, they were stuck at home and navigating a transition to remote work or online classes. But what about those who were essential workers, working on the front lines of the pandemic like a grocery store cashier.
2: I am a cashier at Whole Foods Market. I have been working there for almost two years now. I personally have asthma, so it's definitely a risk for me to do so. But I do it with pride because I love my Whole Foods and I love my community that we serve my store in particular has taken this very seriously. I do feel very safe going into work. We are constantly cleaning. We're constantly rubbing down the carts to make sure that our customers are safe. We have a maximum of 40 people in the side of the store at a time. On our registers, we have big glass protectors that start basically at the computer and go all the way to the end of our belt. We are required to wear masks. We are required to wear gloves, both of which they have been providing for us, which is awesome. And when we come in every day, we get our temperatures checked. We have delivery trucks coming in every night, so we have new shipments of our groceries every day. However, we have seen a major lapse in customer service staff since all of this started. It's really showed a great sense of community, however, because we have other coworkers of mine that come from different departments to help us. We've hired new hires that have come from all different backgrounds, people who have lost their job in this pandemic and need to make an income, you know, can provide for their families and we pay $15 an hour. In terms of our customer appreciation, it's been really, really great to work environment where we're recognized for all the hard work that we've put into you know making our grocery store run as smoothly as it has we work really really well as a team just the morale i have to say the morale is something that has been getting us through for sure to anybody coming to a grocery store keeping that regulated six feet apart is really really important not only for your own safety and the people you love safety but also our safety as your grocery store members Wear a mask, wear gloves if you have them. And you know, it doesn't even have to be a fancy mask. Some people have come in with scarves over their mouths. Don't come to the grocery store if you're bored or just want to get out of the house. Like I totally understand that feeling and I'm there too. But if you're just coming in to pass the time, probably not a great idea. You know, in the beginning it was a lot of panic. Buying, So, you know, lots of huge, huge orders because people just didn't know where this was going and they didn't know where it was heading. And over time, we've really taken the precautions to keep everybody safe.
8: While it is no doubt a challenging time for everyone, what has amazed me is how quickly people of all ages and walks of life have adapted to a socially distant way of life. Although a better term might be physical distancing. I asked my peers if and how they were socializing and maintaining their relationships, both with friends and also romantically, and how they felt about these new forms of virtual connection and communication.
5: It's very different, but the glimpses of the need for communication and human contact are still there. The
6: internet culture is exploding right now. Internet culture isn't just this specific subset of people who are always on the computer and doing things on the internet. It's like now it's like literally everyone is part of internet culture. Even my grandmother, I feel like I'm getting a glimpse into this like internet future where nobody interacts with each other. I think that it will be really interesting to see how people integrate technology into their lives in a different way. They're like really figuring out how to use technology to interact with each other and how people will retain some of those things that they've learned during this time. will apply that to when you don't need to use those things anymore.
9: Now I'm really focusing on ways to create community virtually, which is something new for me. I never thought that I would try to become like this webinar whiz, but all of a sudden I'm like looking up best practices for like Google Hangouts. So I'm finding that there is definitely a need for online community. I'd like to talk
6: about my birthday party on Club Penguin during the coronavirus quarantine. I spent days playing on Club Penguin and I built the coolest igloo and then my friend did the same thing. Her igloo was the dance party igloo with a dance floor, lights, stage, crazy music, And then my igloo was a post party stoner igloo where you just chill and smoke a joint and sit on couches together. And at the peak, there were like 30 penguins on the dance floor dancing and like throwing snowballs across the igloo.
3: I think definitely the quarantine is making everyone feel lonelier and the fact that you don't really get to see that many people and you don't get too much physical contact. I mean, unless if you're quarantined with your partner, I mean, I'm not. So basically, I literally get no love. I'm dating somebody that, you know, it wasn't exclusive, but now it is. Um,
1: (laughs) So some forced monogamy, uh, but it is nice to have a quarantine companion, which is, Kind of the label we're going with right now, in lieu of something more serious. I do know tons of people who are going on these online dates, even if they hadn't like met somebody before. They're just meeting people online. But I have one friend. She's like, I just keep getting stood up. Now I'm being stood up online. I'm like God, that's the worst. Because you know, you set aside time. You're skipping your virtual happy hours.
9: Well, oddly enough, I have been talking to someone. Who I'm at Unhinged and we've been Facetiming a lot, and I think it helped us form a connection where we just talk every day and make sure we're doing okay. It's like an unusual way. Oh, you meet someone from a dating app, and like now you're Facetiming every day, and now you're talking, and now you really care about each other. Hardships like this, like actually, put people together. We'll just need like support in this
7: time, and I'm happy that we were able to do that for each other. And I may have started sleeping with one of my friends, but I don't regret it. I just feel guilty about it. He's a great dude and very caring and I feel lucky to be a part of the relationship in that way, but I don't know if this would have happened if we didn't get stuck in the quarantine together, and that feels strange. You should never think about fate in that way. You shouldn't think about, oh I married my husband because he was the only man left in the state of Ohio. Because that's not why we were friends in the first place or anything like that. Like maybe it would have happened, but it's really hard to say that it would have. So we agreed not to start dating because, oh what a time, (laughs) what a time to start. (laughs) I want to spend all my time with him, which is unreasonable, but I think that starting to date now, out of the context of life, we don't actually have that much in common. He's from Michigan, I'm from Ohio, he makes fun of Ohio so much that I even got like a little poster for Ohio State in my room to tell him to fuck off. (laughs) So we're going to be friends with benefits, like in a genuine, like actually friends and actual like caring and like make dinner together and like let's not be homesick all the time kind of benefits. And I think it's super nice. And I might be going crazy if I didn't have somebody that was around to do those things with, you know, he also knows how to
8: cook. As recent graduates, Our forms of socializing and dating, even during a pandemic, are in many ways still distinct from other generations. But as young people, do we also have a distinct responsibility to our communities or countries at this time, when compared to older individuals with an increased risk of fatality from the coronavirus?
9: Even though young people aren't as affected, it's just us worrying about our parents, us you know worrying about our loved ones who are older and worrying about not bringing back stuff to them. I think that that's a big concern for us.
5: So I thought about going back home because I could work remotely. It'd be really nice being at home in a lot of ways, but I'm quite concerned about potentially being asymptomatic and getting my parents sick, probably more concerned than I should be.
4: And I have the same fear with strangers. I do think that we have a responsibility because we're all part of the same community. And if we all start traveling and we don't stop the virus from spreading, we'll bet for other people. Like we don't have to just think about ourselves because as young people, we probably won't die from it, but we have to think about others, probably like members of our families, our grandmothers, because if they get it, it will be quite bad. And I don't think Midlands are really understanding this. And a lot of people say uh, this virus is not important because only old people, and people who have already some diseases die. But I don't think this is a good point, because some who are always old and some who have diseases have the same right to live than people who don't or people who are young.
0: He just said, well, I mean, it doesn't really matter. I have a a national obligation. China is, is one country and we have one response. And so if something threatens China, then we all unite together behind it.
1: Wearing masks as much as possible now, I think that's our responsibility for sure.
4: We should be aware that it's something, and to help your fellow human, everyone's going through something different.
1: I, the whole bringing food to the elderly thing confused me. My initial reaction was, I don't want to disease somebody. So I guess there is validity in just saying, like, I want to stay at home.
5: The thing that's tricky is this is a situation where your attempts to help and volunteer could end up being counterproductive i do think we have a responsibility i don't know if i would say we have a special responsibility but i think that we should help i don't think we're obligated to by our youth but i think the advantages we have in terms of more energy and our resourcefulness and our statistically built-in resistance and ability to cope with the ramifications of covid i think Suggest that we should do more and we should help out. I say that as someone who hasn't done anything now and needs to contribute myself. I'd like to think that in times like these, we do contribute and we do volunteer and we do try and make a difference at an individual person-by-person level because that's what matters and I think that's what adds up. So that's a good reminder for me to sign up to this damn thing and uh, start delivering groceries. <laughs>
8: Although it's important to live in the present and actively reflect on how we can help those who are more vulnerable than us during the midst of this crisis, thinking about a future when social distancing measures are more relaxed is normal and essential. The coronavirus pandemic has impacted every facet of life and regular human activity differently, but one particularly relevant domain to this show is the future of higher education. Did other students and recent graduates believe the future of higher education would forever be changed by this pandemic? And if so, how?
3: I do think that university as a concept, not that it's getting outdated, but a bit because you can just really do all your learning online now which I really don't hope because then it kind of takes out the whole student aspect and the getting to know your classmates and bouncing off them and sharing ideas. I mean, you can just communicate with them on Skype and Zoom, but it's just not the same. So, I don't know, maybe this is kind of going to be one of those triggering moments where then after Corona people won't really fully go back to the way things were and say, yeah, but we were fine. Corona showed us that actually it was time to transition to online learning.
0: Also universities will change as well. I've been receiving online courses and to be honest they're probably better because I can pause them, I can go back, I can look things up and not get left behind, and you know that that's for medicine. Medicine is one of the most practical and vocational degrees that you can have. Um, so the fact that online resources are working just as well as the real ones is probably quite telling of how it's going to impact on other degrees as well. From what I hear from friends, basically the content they're receiving at the minute is just what they'd be receiving if they went to class. They maybe miss that face-to-face engagement that sometimes can be really good for developing ideas and just encouraging your critical thinking a little bit more rather than just reading off slides so maybe that's something that you can't really get from online learning
1: because i ta i know my professors really don't like it i think lots of teachers are struggling even if they're tech savvy i know my teachers just like i feel so distant from the students not all students are turning their videos on i've never taught but i can imagine that you know seeing people in person being able to assess their reactions and have that interaction would be motivating as a teacher so I think unless a teacher wants that and I I think more teachers would opt for in person than online so I don't know if it will change that much. It will take time to have a normal class semester for people to really settle in and feel comfortable to whatever nature their classes are and you know hope that graduations will occur.
8: In the midst of tremendous tragedy and suffering, there is hope for a future in which we can learn from the repercussions of this pandemic and collectively change many faults in our systems which have been exposed. I'd like to finish on a positive note, in which these recent graduates envision a future where many aspects of our society can be improved, with movements that we can lead or be a part of. We have to find a way to
9: really let us come out of this stronger on the other side. And I think that's happening because there are so many mutual aid projects and kind of communal resource sharing that I see that I think far outweigh the stockpiling of toilet paper and stuff that you see in the news. So honestly, I'm really encouraged by that. And I see my work too. There are some downsides, but I just have to continue to face towards the positive because this work has to continue and like the election is still happening in 2020, so I just have to see it as an opportunity to bring people together. And then I wonder if more
1: young people, people who are figuring out what they want to do, will be motivated to go into the healthcare space, you know, recognizing that this may not be the only outbreak. and. It's devastating to society and being able to help and seeing how there's really a shortage, especially in New York, could change how people see their futures.
0: I think healthcare is going to change hugely. My dad and my, my brother are, are both doctors and they're saying that they're seeing things being done in two days that previously would have taken two years. They see the, the NHS is being streamlined. <laughs> the coronavirus is, is having to make it so much more efficient than it previously happy. Sometimes if you want innovation, you've, you've got to have a pressure on.
3: This has really been shedding a light on how there's illegal animal trafficking going on and it really needs to be controlled because this all came about from illegally trafficked animals that were then eaten so hopefully if if this whole pandemic could mean that illegal animal trafficking is truly banned or like really regulated that would be awesome and then as well it's been quite good for the environment ironically so i hope that people realize that life is possible maybe being a bit more minimalistic so that when the pandemic does lift perhaps uh, consumption will stay lower
0: hopefully i think the way that we think about our elderly and vulnerable will change as well 2 million people in the UK suffer from loneliness and this pandemic has forced a lot of those people to be more lonely than ever. They're completely avoiding contact with the outside world and if they live with themselves then that's a really isolating situation. But an amazing thing is that we've seen a great community response. Hundreds of thousands of volunteers for the NHS, for charities and food banks and things like that and it turns out that whenever again circumstances are pressing that we actually really do look out for one another we don't just dismiss the vulnerable i hope that's something that we carry on beyond this that once life does begin to return to normal that we don't just assume that those people are fine again just because they're not going to contract coronavirus doesn't mean that their loneliness is going to go away doesn't mean that the other health conditions that they've had to live with every day is any better why is it that it took a pandemic for us to actually pay attention to them i hope that it'll make us all a little bit more aware of the role that we can Play in supporting our society and supporting those around us.
8: Thank you for listening to this special episode of Commencement. To everyone who is listening, I hope that you and your loved ones are still healthy and safe. I am especially grateful to everyone you heard on this episode who openly shared with us their experiences during this extraordinary time. I am also incredibly appreciative of Ani, a recent graduate of Oberlin College, and George Kakas, a St. Andrews graduate, for both of their original music, which is featured on this episode. If you'd like to hear more of their music, please follow the links to their individual pages in the episode description. And a final thank you to Clara Eshagpur, my assistant, for all of her help. This podcast would not exist without all of your collective contributions. If you are in need of any support, please don't hesitate to reach out to those around you or to the commencement family at commencement.the.podcast at gmail.com. Would you like to join the conversation about graduate life, even in the midst of a pandemic? Send an email or a voice memo to commencement.the.podcast at gmail.com and don't forget to follow commencement.the.podcast on Instagram for more updates.